It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Raven about cyclic vomiting syndrome. According to theclevelandclinic.org, cyclic vomiting syndrome, or CVS, is a condition where you experience sudden, repeated attacks of severe nausea, vomiting, and exhaustion. These symptoms come with no apparent cause. Each attack can last from a few hours to several days. Attacks may be so severe that you're bedridden or must go to the emergency room or hospital. Raven started experiencing symptoms of CVS when they were around six or seven years old, so this disease has been present for most of their life. As you'll hear throughout Raven's story, it has been extremely difficult to get any doctor to listen to them, to take them seriously, and to actually try and help. So like many people with a chronic illness, Raven took matters into their own hands, did a ton of research, and actually diagnosed themselves with CVS. It would still take years to get an official diagnosis, and the reason why is extremely upsetting. We talk about medical gaslighting on this podcast all the time. Doctors refusing to believe patients, telling them that their symptoms are just anxiety, refusing to dig deeper, which can prevent people from getting adequate care for years. But Raven's situation actually goes beyond medical gaslighting. They had confided in their doctor that they use medicinal cannabis to help with their symptoms. And without Raven's knowledge, this doctor marked their chart that they were an illicit drug user with an eating disorder. It would be years before Raven discovered this in their own chart. And throughout those years, doctors treated them horribly. They'd take one look at Raven's chart, assume this person was a drug seeker, berate and abuse Raven, leading to extremely troubling medical trauma. Now that Raven finally has an official diagnosis, they're on medication that's helping bring them into remission, they can finally keep down food and water, and they've begun the process of reckoning with the emotional and physical abuse and trauma that they have experienced at the hands of the medical system. I was shocked by Raven's story and so impressed by the lengths they've gone to to keep fighting for themselves, to keep advocating and pushing and pushing until they finally made progress with their doctors. Raven did such a great job on the podcast. This is a haunting episode, but an extremely important story to share. And the reason Raven is sharing is because they want to be there for anyone else experiencing similar symptoms who's being brushed off by their doctor who needs to hear from just one other person in the world going through something similar. It's a fantastic conversation. I'm so excited to share it with you in just a few minutes. Last week on the show, we spoke with the incredible Paco about his gaming career and how it was impacted by long COVID. And I wanted to share a comment we got about this episode on Instagram. This is from Some Things Matter. This is our friend Jennifer, who appeared on the podcast back in season two. She says, oh, wow, his story hits close to home. Honestly, it was hard for me to listen to because his story was so similar to mine, especially due to the repeated post-viral issues. Unlike Paco, I've recovered quite well, whereas he's still sick. I can't be sure what exactly helped me get better, so I really feel Paco's pain. But I did everything possible I've heard about. For a long time, I also felt like there was no silver lining, just like Paco. Having recovered, I'm now much more thankful for my health than before. Hang in there and keep fighting. You have to believe that you can recover. We have another comment from Mandy T. Marie, which says, Thank you so much for talking about this. My health has been so impacted by long COVID issues, and it amazes me how many people have never even heard of it. And isn't that terrifying that there's still people out there that have never heard of long COVID or people that don't believe in it? And I actually got a comment about that that I just deleted off the Instagram because I was offended by it. Someone commenting that long COVID was a hoax. 
But that's why it's so important to be public and to talk about these things, to stand up for our community and say, hey, this is real. This is affecting us, not just long COVID, but, you know, chronic illnesses, invisible illnesses, things that people sometimes doubt are real. It can be so frustrating to have that condition and feel like you have to defend yourself constantly, defend your own existence. So I'm so grateful for everyone who comes on the show and discusses these types of situations, shares their stories. It's so powerful and so helpful for the people who need it. On a different note, I got another comment on TikTok on this same episode with Paco from Laura EDS, who says, been binging your podcast, keep it up. And this is the first time I've ever heard someone saying that they were binging the podcast and it really excited me. (laughs) So Laura, thank you so much for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. This podcast is supported by our listeners on Patreon, and once a month, my partner Andy and I sit down and record a bonus episode for our Patreon subscribers. The bonus episode for the month of June is finally out, and it is an all-time great bonus episode. Maybe the most fun I've ever had recording a bonus episode with Andy. It's a really wacky episode, so much fun, and I'm getting some really fun feedback about it so far. It's hard to describe, so I won't try. I'll just say it's a good time. (laughs) If you're a part of our Patreon community, make sure you go give it a listen. And if you'd like to join Patreon to support this podcast, gain access to these bonus episodes, as well as special recognition on the show and gifts, head to patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. I'll put a link directly to the bonus episode in the show notes of this podcast. So if you've already subscribed on Patreon, you have a quick and easy way to hop over. There are three tiers of support on Patreon, $2 per month supporters, $7 per month patrons, and $25 per month producers. If you sign up at the $7 per month tier, you'll get a gift of a Major Pain coaster, and $25 per month tier gets a gift of a Major Pain tote bag. Uh, These gifts were made by my mom. They look awesome. I'm so excited every time I get to mail one out. And of course, if you sign up at the top tier, $25 per month, you get a shout out at the beginning of every episode. So special thank you to Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia, our Patreon producers who are going a huge way to help keep this show going. Everyone on Patreon is helping to keep this show going. Having some financial support to create this show is crucial for its long-term continuation. So if you'd like to be a part of that, check out our Patreon campaign. Another great way to support the show is by signing up to participate in research studies and surveys through Rare Patient Voice, an awesome program that will pay you for your time if you participate in a research study or survey, an average of $125 per hour. If you're interested in signing up, use our affiliate link, rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast. They'll ask you a few questions about your diagnosis, and then they will reach out when they have a study or survey that you might be eligible for. For every person that signs up, we get a $10 Amazon gift card to support Major Pain. And those have been helping me to purchase my supplements that are keeping my body working, which is super, super appreciated. So uh, thank you, everyone who's joined Rare Patient Voice. If you have not yet signed up, it is definitely worth checking out. Speaking of financial support, if you'd like to send a one-time donation to this podcast, I always, always appreciate that. You can find us on PayPal using our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow Major Pain on social media. We are on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at Major Pain Podcast. Each week, I make a little bit of content to support our new episodes. I've been upping my game recently as far as creating video shorts that I post on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram to support the show. I've been recording a little video message, introducing the episode, and then playing a clip from our guests. And I'm having a lot of fun creating these things. I'd love for you to check them out. We did get a new five-star rating on Apple Podcasts this week, which I was thrilled to see. 
Uh, It's so helpful to rate and review the podcast wherever it is that you listen. I love reading reviews on the show. So if you've left us a review on any platform other than Apple Podcasts, take a screenshot and email it to me. I'll share it on the show. I do keep an eye on Apple Podcasts. So when a new review shows up, I will obviously share that as well. And the last thing I'll say before we jump into our fantastic episode with Raven is that my guest and I are not medical professionals. Please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our interview with Raven about cyclic vomiting syndrome. Raven, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. It's very nice to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you today. This has been a long time in the making. I'm thrilled that we're finally meeting virtually to hear your story. Me too. (laughs) So Raven, let's get to know you a little bit. Why don't you tell us about yourself? So I am 23 years old. I go to college for sociology because I would like to be a high school counselor for LGBT teens and those with mental illness to kind of be the person I wish I had growing up. Mm. Um, I have about six cats and one dog. They bring so much joy into my life, uh, much easier to interact with than humans on some days. <laughs> I grew up in a dojo. I have my blue belt in Shaolin Shuan Fa Kenpo. Wow. Um, I also do a lot of swimming, uh, and I enjoy painting quite a lot. Very cool. What's your favorite type of thing to paint? I kind of just like doing abstract paintings and just seeing where like the colors and the shapes take me. Um I'm very fueled by my love for Picasso and Van Gogh and just kind of they are very colorful, eccentric, emotional pieces that they have. And you grew up in a dojo. That's fascinating. Um, Yeah, I have no idea what that world is like. Uh, Yeah, growing up in a dojo was honestly a lot of fun. It's a very strong family connection you get with everyone else in there. Mm. Um, Just a great place to grow up around and... Being 4'11", it's nice to know how to throw someone if I have to. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. Very cool. Well, Raven, let's jump into your story. What is your major pain? So my major pain is cyclic vomiting syndrome, or CVS is the abbreviation. Yeah. What What is cyclic vomiting syndrome? So cyclic vomiting syndrome or also cyclical vomiting syndrome, uh, they're both the same. One is just used more in the UK. The other one's more used in the US. Um, What it is, is a neurological uh, gastrointestinal disorder. Mm. Um, I call it neurological gastrointestinal because there's not a surefire way of finding out exactly where CVS lies in the body. So there are three variants to CVS. Um, You have your migraine variant, your seizure variant, and then your mitochondrial cell defect variant. I myself struggle with the mitochondrial cell variant as well as the migraine variant, meaning that the mitochondria in my cells don't produce enough energy as they should. And my body is constantly kind of running on fumes, which... Of course, then leads to issues with just everything else in the body. And the migraine variant is kind of exactly what the name says. I get very intense migraines in my stomach. Um, I explain it almost as like 
that one SpongeBob episode where he goes, this morning I had a bowl of nails for breakfast with <laughs> no milk. Like that is exactly how it feels. Wow. Okay. There's several things in there that I want to ask you about. So I had an appointment with a gastroenterologist uh, like a year-ish ago, and he he was trying to determine what was going on in my stomach. And one of the things he brought up was um, migraines in the stomach. And that's the first time I'd ever heard that. And I still have no idea what that means. <laughs> so yeah, what is a migraine in the stomach? So a migraine in the stomach is really just as the name says, um, it is a migraine, but the way that the brain directs it, instead of feeling it in your head, um, it goes to your stomach instead, because there are so many uh, neural connections that we just don't really know about that connect the brain and the stomach, just kind of like how um, dopamine is created in the stomach and everything. Oh, I didn't know um, that. Yeah, a lot of dopamine in our system is created in our stomach. Um, wow. So because my brain kind of misfires in that area of my brain, because my brain does what my brain does, <laughs> um, my pain is kind of localized in my abdomen which is very, very intense. Sometimes it feels like someone put a bike pump like in my mouth and I've been pumped full of air to the point that I can't move and wow. everything hurts. Some days it feels like, um, you know, those vacuum sealer bags, like mm -hmm. too much clothes, not enough space. And you put the vacuum in uh -huh. and it just condenses it. Yeah, <laughs> That's kind of what it feels like. So I'll almost be stuck like curled up in a ball because if I tried to straighten myself out or move it's almost like trying to unbend vacuum sealed bag like it's not budging and if it does budge it rips wow that it's, sounds really intense it's very quite intense indeed and how often does that happen thankfully I am on medication for it I take a uh, medication called amitriptyline which is a migraine medication so I have been able to get most of my major flares down to probably once or twice a week. Hmm. But before hmm. I was diagnosed and before I was medicated, I was easily having these migraines in my stomach one to two times a day. Wow. And, and you say you have multiple variants of CVS. So the other one being this mitochondrial variant, um, is this a, is that a form of like mitochondrial disease? Uh, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Um, a lot of the research that I've done on CVS has been research that I've done myself mm. just because there's so little information out there that you can't really find anything. And if you do, it's you don't really know how to break it down and how to look at it. There have been so many studies on CVS, but not many of them have been as inclusive as they should be. Like when I first started my research back in 2016, um, I, that's when I started college and I was used to doing research for my essays because I had to look at peer-reviewed articles, I had to look at scholarly articles, you had to see the year and see how it fits. So I would use that and it turned out with CVS, the only research that had been done that was still up to date and still in the 10-year criteria was five school children in Scotland. And I'm just reading it and I'm like, yes, I share these symptoms, but at the same time, it's such a small demographic that it's very hard to get any research from this information. So I just kind of started doing a deep dive. And for three years, I researched 
anything and everything about the stomach, the brain, the mitochondria, um, migraine seizures, just anything I could to get me to a point where I can say, okay, I know where I can go now and look for answers. I actually stumbled upon the mitochondrial cell defect when I joined my CDS group on Facebook. Mm. We have about 40,000 group members all around the world. And just like a few members there, I found that it's the mitochondrial cell defect. Like the biggest way I found it had to be my symptoms because I would I would symptom track from the second I woke up to the second I went to bed, whatever I ate, the temperature outside, uh, what clothes I was wearing, maybe my clothes were too tight in my stomach and that would hurt. And I realized that I was very fatigued and I couldn't do as much as others could. Like I would get very easily sunburned or I couldn't break down food other ways or just honestly all around just pure exhaustion and not knowing where it came from and then you learn that hey the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell if it feels like something isn't running and maybe you don't have enough coal in the factory that's probably where the power comes from yeah fascinating so what is the connection between these different variants of cvs is there is there actual you know vomiting that occurs with cvs Oh, 100%. That's definitely where the name comes from, uh, cyclical vomiting syndrome. And the big part of it is also the cyclical part, because there's really no way that you can predict that it's about to happen. Um, many, And it varies for many people. Uh, when I was in the kind of throes of it, and it was at its worst, my cycles were four days long. So I would be sick for one whole day and I'd be okay for three days and then I would be completely sick again. But it's not just throwing up like you have food poisoning and your body says, oh, I need to get this out of me. And it's just kind of what I call a one and done. Like you throw up and you're like, okay, that's done. I can go about my day. Uh, With CVS, it's constant throwing up like you cannot stop. And that's where the seizure part comes in too because it is a seizure of the muscles in the stomach causing constant vomiting. So there have been points where I've been in the throes of an episode and I'm 16 hours in, absolutely nothing in my stomach, I can't hold down water, and yet I'm still dry heaving and throwing up as if I have a full stomach of food. Wow, that sounds like such a nightmare. Yeah, it's definitely a nightmare. I... uh, I joke around and try to make it lighthearted by calling it the world's best ab workout. (laughs) I was like, yeah, after an episode, I don't need to do my abs for a while. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Okay. So you have two different variants and is that common? Do people often have more than one variant of CVS? I would like to say yes, only because of how complex the disease itself is. Um, And at times you may have more than one variant and you aren't really even aware of it. Like at first I was treating myself for the mitochondrial cell variant by taking what uh, the community calls the Mito cocktail. And the Mito cocktail is just different medications and supplements that are used together, but it's always the same. It's uh, CoQ10, which helps with cardiac health. Um, 
L-carotene, which helps with the mitochondrial cell defect, and also amitriptyline, like I said earlier, to help mm-hmm. with the pain. It's those three taken together as the cocktail, and that can kind of help with the energy and everything. And it did help me for a while. There was probably just a solid month where I was like, I actually feel like a human being again. And then just out of nowhere, it came back and I was like, well, I'm doing all of these things correctly. Why am I still sick? And I kind of looked into it more and I asked people, I asked people in my community what they thought. And it's very common to have more than one variant. Yeah. Wow. You've already talked a lot about doing your own research and figuring things out on your own. So I'm assuming that getting diagnosed with this was extremely difficult. I'm assuming that this is something rare that doctors maybe don't know to look for. And I'm guessing that you had a rough time going to doctors and describing your symptoms. Is that the case? Uh, Yes. And I do apologize if I tear up or you can hear it in my voice. Um, My CVS journey had to be one of the worst journeys of my life because of how rare CVS is. Doctors either, it's mostly free things. They either think it's some mumbo jumbo made up on the internet and it's just stress and anxiety. Um, They think, sadly, that I just have an eating disorder and that I'm doing this for attention. Or they think that um, it has to do with marijuana. Is that okay to talk about? Sure, yeah. Yeah, they think that it might have to do with marijuana because there is this illness called cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, Mm -hmm. or CHS. Um, And if anyone with CBS is listening to this, I cringe just as hard as they did when they heard CHS. Um, CHS shows the exact same symptoms as CVS, but the only difference is that the um, person who is suffering in the moment smokes weed. Yeah. Uh, and my, my thing with that is when I go to the hospital, I am very frank with my doctors and I will explain like, yes, I, I smoke medical marijuana it helps with my stomach because it helps with more symptoms than just one. And I'll even look at the doctors and say, if you're in my position and you have two options to chug water and try and hold down five pills or take three deep breaths, which one would you choose? Mm. And most of the time doctors go like, that's here reasonable, that's understandable. And they'll ask me more about that and kind of see maybe if that's the cause But sadly, in the beginning, that was the only thing my doctors would focus on was that I smoked. And they were like, it's definitely this. You need to quit. And I listened to them. I didn't go, no, it's not this. I'm not going to do that. I was like, you know what? It might be. I'm going to follow what my doctor says. And if this doesn't work out, I know it's not the medical marijuana. And after two months of it being completely out of my system, I had the worst episode I've ever had. And I was sick for four days straight and hospitalized for two and a half days. Uh, Every doctor there was just completely, absolutely rude. Uh, They'd ask me about my symptoms, but wouldn't give me patience because I was continually throwing up while talking to them. Or they'd come in and be like, oh, you're still in pain? Like very annoyed because they just spent maybe an hour and a half, giving me all kinds of different medications that didn't help. Um, No one wanted to really even 
bear the thought that it could be CVS until I started doing my own research and symptom tracking and showing like, hey, I'm following exactly what you're saying, but I'm still having all of my symptoms. And it got to the point that I even had um, an endoscopy where if no one knows what an endoscopy is, that's where they take a camera and they look at your esophagus and your upper GI tract into your stomach to see if anything's going on. Uh, mine was completely clean. There was nothing wrong with my stomach. There was nothing wrong with my throat. All of my x-rays were clean. All of my scans. I have had copious amounts of blood work done and they couldn't find anything. So for the longest time um, in my uh, medical records, I was misdiagnosed with illicit drug abuse and an eating disorder. Wow. And I only wow. learned I only learned this when I got a dis disability case manager because I need to get my medical records and I need to get all this like figured out to go apply. And she brings me into her office one day and she's like, I have really hard news to break to you right now. I was going through your medical records. And I just found out that they diagnosed you with CHS and illicit drug abuse. And I remember when she told me those words, it's like the whole world stopped for a second. So I was like, what do you mean? And she just explained more. And as I was sitting there and I was hearing it, it just everything in my mind started to connect the dots as to why doctors were so mean to me. Hmm. I faced malpractice and medical abuse, even in visits where my partner would be there with me, like my, one doctor escorted him to the side of the room to talk to him about something. And then I had my doctor come up to me and very rudely ask, like, are you a drug seeker verbatim? Are you a drug seeker? Are you, did you come here just for drugs? And I would just look at, look up at him sobbing. And I'm like, no, I am in unfathomable amounts of pain and I need help. But I never got the help that I wish I needed, except this one time. There was one time I went to the hospital that I got help. He, he took a second. He looked at me. He scanned me up and down. And I told him, I have, C I have CVS. That's what's going on right now. And he looked me in the eyes and said, I don't know what CVS is. Can you tell me more? How can I help you? And I just broke down crying. And the first thing I ever, the first thing out of my mouth to him was, no one's ever said they wanted to help me. And like when he left, I looked at my partner and I went, he said he believed me. He believes me. And just to this day, I don't remember his name, but I still remember the relief of a medical professional saying, I believe you. Wow. I, I wish what you were saying was surprising. You know, I wish that this yeah. wasn't so common, but it's still so heartbreaking to hear. And it's just, it's, it's like if you were watching a movie and they were trying to write the most unfair scenario, it's like someone goes into the doctor for help and not only is help refused, but they are diagnosed as being a drug seeker and using illicit substances to make themselves ill. Um, when in fact you are using cannabis medicinally to try to survive because no one is helping you and you have nothing else. And I've been there. Like I, I used cannabis medicinally for six years because I had nothing else because doctors wouldn't believe me when I told them I was sick. And I just had to resort to doing anything to feel good enough to function 
Um, and I mean, my functionality was still extremely limited during that time, but I would have, I would have done absolutely nothing if it hadn't been for cannabis products. You know, I, I would have just been writhing around in pain all day instead of, you know, lying down in a little bit of less, a little bit less pain and able to, you know, watch yeah. a movie or play a video game or, or work on a podcast or something. Um, you know, cannabis gave me that versus being just like, you know, near catatonic all day. So I really, I really empathize with what you're saying because I've experienced uh, a piece of that myself. And I hear it constantly from people on this podcast, you know, doctors telling them that they are just experiencing anxiety, devaluing their symptoms, devaluing their humanity, assuming that they are looking for drugs. Um, and it just doesn't get any easier to hear, you know, it's just horrific. And we are left as patients to sort of um, do our own research, bring ideas to the doctor and just hope that they will listen. But a lot of doctors, when you bring them an idea, they will just get angry, you know, and, and it's like, it hurts their ego that you think that they don't know what they're doing. So yeah, yeah. it's amazing to find this doctor that was willing to listen. So how long had you been searching for answers before you found this doctor? When did this start? How old were you when you started having symptoms? So I actually started showing symptoms for CVS when I was probably around six or seven years old. Wow. So it, it's been around my whole life, which whenever a doctor tries to come with me with the, oh, but it's the cannabis doing this, I'll look at them and say, if it's the cannabis, how have I been sick since way before I even knew what cannabis was? Yeah. And that, that takes them aback and they'll go, you know what? You got me there. <laughs> um, and sadly, even that doctor that I saw who believed me was only um, an emergency room doctor. Mm -hmm. So I still spent my time educating my primary care, but my primary care doctor, I've also been seeing since I was nine years old. So he saw kind of the progression of my illness. So when I came to him at, I want to say I was 17 or 18 years old. And I said, I think I have CBS. And he was like, okay, let's see what we can do about this. I'll do research with you. Um, I only got officially diagnosed in 2020, I want to say. Um, that was during my last hospital visit that I had. I thankfully have been out of the hospital for a little over two years now. Um, so my my remission's going pretty well. Sadly, to get that remission, I have lost my job and I had to drop out of college. Yeah. But I'm a little bit healthier. So, you know, you lose some, you get some. Yeah. I, so you basically just diagnosed yourself by doing research and then started fighting against doctors to try to get them to take it seriously. Basically, basically. And that's where I also get in a lot of arguments with people who try and say that self-diagnosis is not valid. Hmm. Uh, there's a point where I'm like, yes, maybe sometimes self-diagnosis isn't good if you're going on WebMD and suddenly you're like, I have cancer. Um, but if it's a case where not a lot of people have access to the medical network that they require for their needs and really it can't, it's the only way that I was able to find any help or any answers was just all of that research and going, well, if no one's going to believe me, I'm going to believe in me and I'm going to keep going as if everyone else believes in me too. And maybe I'll get help on the way. Where did you find that strength to do that? 
Honestly, I get that question a lot, and I don't mean it in an egotistical way to say, like, I don't know. It's just kind of always been there. Hmm. Some part of me is it's not like a drive to be like, I am the best and I can do everything. It's a drive of I am tired of people telling me what I can and cannot do. So I'm just going to prove them wrong and be a very stubborn Irish person <laughs> and make my ancestors proud and keep that battle going. Um, and I want to say it's also just fueled by kind of looking back at younger me who would get berated by even my parents and stuff like that. And I used to spend hours in the bathroom alone at like eight years old, just crying at 3 a.m., praying like, God, if you let me not throw up, I'll be okay again like I'll be a good person like it was driven by fear but now it's driven by I want to be the person I wish I had so I'm going to become that person and if I stumble upon someone who needs me I'll be here and I will use my voice and I'll help wow I mean so many people wouldn't have that strength um and I I when you're told over and over by doctors that your own illness is your fault it starts to internalize I think and I think it's really easy to lose sight of the goal when you're searching for a diagnosis like this and to stop searching. You know, I definitely went through periods where I stopped searching because I was so discouraged by doctors. So I really commend you for pushing through that and for getting yourself to where you are now because, you know, you really are the only person who made that happen. Sorry, that's the first time I've heard that. So that was like just a reality hitting me that like, yeah, I, I, I did that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you became your own advocate. Just, you made it happen. Yeah. It's just always been exhaustion turned to righteous anger, as I've called it. <laughs> so tell me about your official diagnosis. Was there testing that was done to confirm your, your theory that you'd had for years at that point? Um, so for CVS, there isn't really a test to see if it's CVS. It was more of like a trial and error. So uh -huh. I was, I was tested for a bunch of different things and then they went, nothing showed up here. Let's try something else. And then that continued for a couple years. And then I kind of just did finger guns at my doctor and went, what about now? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, okay. The CVS thing is kind of starting to seem like that's it. Because I had um, a gastric emptying study, which I thought it was disgusting because they make you eat this egg sandwich and um, then they take several x-rays to see like how far it's moved along. Yeah. Um, I was only able to do that once and I wasn't able to do it fully because when you're, when you have CVS and you're all of that, it's very easy to... Um, grow an eating disorder. I suffer from ARFID, um, afraid restrictive food intake disorder. Mm. So I'll look at a meal and be like, oh, this is more than food. This might be a trigger. This might send me to the hospital. This might need medication. So when they tell you that you want to do a gastric emptying study and you're in the hospital and you're looking at a hospital egg salad sandwich, I, I got sick in that moment and all them, they all looked at me and went, okay, maybe we can't do this test right now. Like you can't eat this sandwich. And I was like, no, I do not want the sandwich. <laughs> um, 
So after that was, of course, the endoscopy where they saw that nothing was wrong. I've had numerous blood panels to test my kidney, liver uh, function. I've had ultrasounds to kind of see if there's any tumors or growths or benign, anything growing. Um, I've seen GI specialists. I've seen specialists at the ER, even just seeing a gynecologist and going like, maybe this is just like a really intense period or something. Uh, no, it was just all trial and error. And all my doctors just kind of went, yeah. So it's, we checked off and marked off all these boxes. Those are open cleared. So I feel like we can now sit with the idea that it, it is CVS. Hmm. Wow. How did that feel? Was that, was that validating in that moment? It was validating and also exhausting at the same time because yeah. I kind of looked at them and internally I went, oh, so it took years and $30,000 just to be like, yeah, you might be right. <laughs> yeah, because you, it, I mean, you had known for a long time. So it's just like, oh, yeah. why is no one listening to me even when I'm right? It, it was it was just absolutely an insane wild ride. And kind of like you said before, it's if you go to a doctor and you say, hey, I think I have this thing. I've been doing research and notes. They just get angry. Yeah. Like I there is a point where I was looking for um, just a different primary care doctor. So I wanted to get a secondary opinion. And um, whenever you go to a new doctor, they have you fill out all this paperwork. And on one of the sheets of paper, you put your prescriptions that you're on. And I'm on five prescriptions. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to write all this down. And without even having any formalities or kindness of any, any kind, the doctor walks into the room and goes, I hope you know, we're not going to give you these prescription medications. And <laughs> just by that, I was like, oh, this is this is going to be a wild ride. And my doctor's appointment, um, which, which was my first one, an initial doctor's appointment should be about an hour long. Like you're getting to know the doctor, you're talking about everything. Mine was 15 minutes long. And all it was, was her berating me and making me cry. Um, wow. She was saying CVS wasn't real. It's all in my head. Uh, and when I told her, like, yeah, it started when I was a child, though, like it's been around for a long time. She looked at me and she said, when did you start going to school? And I was like, I don't know why this is important, but I started when I was young. And she's like, that's why you're sick, because of school and stress. Ugh. And I was like, I feel like it's much more than that, but continue. And I told her, like, it's cyclical vomiting syndrome. I've come here for help. And what she said after that, I just got up and I left. She said that there's no way it could be CVS because that's a rare disease and that I am just locking myself into a miserable lifestyle. That's my fault. Wow. Why is it? Why is it like this? Like, I know <laughs> that's not it. I'm not asking you because I know, <laughs> I know oh, nobody yeah, no. knows. But it's like, so broken. It's so broken. Yeah. I mean, I. And you know these things have, these types of things have happened to me, and I've I've like really wrestled with it. Like, why is it that when we go to people for help, they try to blame us? You know, it doesn't make sense. I, it really does not. And I feel like some of it has to be that mindset of I went to school and you didn't. 
when I have the mindset of I'm throwing up and you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, you're meeting this new person and, and they spent no time trying to get to know you. Maybe they saw in your chart, you know, the, like the notes from someone else saying, this is a drug seeker who is making themselves sick. Um, And that, I mean, there, it's so upsetting when something like that is put in your chart because it, it doesn't come out of your chart. You know, it does not. And I learned that the hard way because I didn't even know it was in my chart until last year. And I basically had have a therapy session with my disability case counselor because all of the medical abuse that I had put up with to that point started making sense. Because at first I was giving all the doctors the benefit of the doubt of, okay, maybe it was a long day for them. And I'm just a very frustrating patient because they don't know what to do. And it turns out that this whole entire time they've been acting on an internalized bias against me and just taking that out against me. And it hurt because it's like the one person you want to trust the most when you're in pain is your doctor. But how can you trust your doctor if your doctor doesn't believe you or even want to see that you're in pain in the first place? Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think back on my own journey and I didn't used to check my notes in my chart, you know you know, my chart, the website didn't exist. (laughs) Um, So it wasn't easy to look through your own chart. Um, Not at all. Yeah. And, you know, at one point I was diagnosed with a conversion disorder. Doctors assumed that what I was experiencing was just anxiety or that I was making it up or attention seeking. And I start, you know, I wonder now, like how much of that was in my chart? Because I'd go into these doctor's appointments and I'd sit down and they'd start by giving me bad news. You know, they'd start by saying, there's nothing I can do. This is all in your head. Um, You know, and it's like, why are you starting there? You don't, you haven't even spoken to me yet. Um, And doctors, it seems like they believe what's in your chart wholeheartedly without question. But when, when we as the patient have no control over what's put in our chart, and we might've had one horrible appointment with one really bad doctor who made some ridiculous assumptions but then those become your story, and it's almost impossible to change the perception of the next doctor that you see. It's like deeply, intensely harmful, and there's no recourse. You know, there's no course of action to take that I know of. And if you're listening to this and you know of something that can be done to alter a chart that is erroneous, let me know because I do not know of one. And this is something that like has kept me up at night many, many nights wondering like you know am i ever going to be able to get help because of this this stuff in the past and i you know i think about where i'm at now where i have this great team of doctors and i've i have a potential diagnosis i'm on medication i'm doing better and it's just like a miracle that that even happened and when i started my medical journey that was like oh well that's what's going to happen you know i'm going to find a, a helpful doctor who's going to get medication get a diagnosis and help me out and by the time it finally happened, I was so beaten down and so exhausted. And just like the fact that it happened at all was so shocking. And that's not how it should be. No, not at all. Uh, yeah, it's, it's so completely broken. And I've even talked with my disability case manager. Um, it's like, is there any way I can get this taken off? Because if I have to go to the hospital in the future, God forbid, Uh, I don't want to be treated like this again. And she just kind of looked at me with this look on her face that said, no, like not really, unless you want to get a lawyer and take it up at the hospital. 
the most we can do is amend it to what they want to say. So we were able to get amends because, mm. um, like I said before, um, I'm applying for disability and I want to have a solid case as much as possible. And if you have illicit drug abuse in your medical records, they're just going to instantly um, disapprove you and say right. that you can't get any help because you're just going to abuse the system and continue with what you're on right now. Uh, we were able to get it amended um, it wasn't taken off my uh, my records, but in little brackets next to it, it now says canceled. Oh my god, that's not that's that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she yeah, used to be is. an illicit drug user, but now she's better because we've talked to her about it. Like that that yeah, is not even right? that's not better at all. You were never an yeah, illicit no. drug user. You know when I read it, and I was like canceled. I was like. It, the first thing that even came into my head wasn't even like, oh, I wasn't an illicit drug abuser. It was, when did I ever talk to a counselor? <laughs> this is so infuriating. I, this makes me so mad. There needs, to yeah. be, <laughs> there needs to be a pathway to amend our medical records. Like, this is, this is unacceptably ridiculous. Like, you, you were labeled as something that you were not. And then that is just like snowballed out of control and there's nothing you can do about it unless you're like super wealthy and can hire a lawyer. That that's ridiculous. It's sadly, that's how our medical system is just working. It's all about that money, 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 money. Wow. I am. I want to say $45,000 in debt, uh, just for my medical bills alone. Um, and I can't even do anything about them. I've had the debt collectors contact me and they're like, hey, you have this amount at this hospital. What do you want to do? And uh, at that point, I can't keep my facade up anymore. And I'm just ugly sobbing on the phone. This poor dude at a desk working a nine to five. Just like, I don't have a job. I'm disabled. I'm unemployed. I'm sick. And 99% of the time, from what I've gotten, it's just an awkward pause and them going, okay, we'll put that in your file. Have a nice day. And then I just haven't gotten contacted back yet. Oh, uh, my God. It's like sometimes my advice is to make them feel awkward. Wow. I mean, but, and it's like if you, if you were able to work and were able to hire a lawyer, then you could straighten some of this out. Like you could sue for malpractice. You know, but like, oh, 100%. but but that's not possible from the position that you're in because it's not a justice system. It's like, it's a financial system. It is. As I unironically say, the injustice system. Yeah. Because uh, even just through all these years of trying to get diagnosed and facing the things I did, um, is it okay if I tell a kind of one of my horror stories? Sure. Um. It was probably my worst uh, ER visit for my CVS. And this was definitely one of those visits where any nurse or doctor that looked at me was kind of like, oh, is this again? Um, and for anyone who has been to the doctor or has gotten blood draws or anything, um, you know that it's usually just a little one and done prick. Like it's just a prick in, they get some blood, they put the IV in it and it'll sit there. Uh, something with CVS is severe dehydration because I, for the longest time, could not hold down any water. 
I had no water weight. My skin was completely translucent. Um, it was almost to the point that you could pull up my skin and it would stay up for a little bit before going back down mm. like I was a dog at the vet. And because of that, uh, my veins were very small and I would I have something called rolling veins. So you think you're going to get a poke, it goes somewhere else. And I would get used, I would gotten used to being sticked more than once. My max was probably about three times, which still not super high, but still not a lot of fun at all. But this one visit I went in and I was just so sick and dehydrated that I had actually gotten um, stuck around nine times in one sitting within a span of 10 minutes. And the thing that blows me away is they did things that I didn't know you weren't allowed to do until I talked to someone in the future about what they did. Um, and if there's anyone listening right now and you're a frequent uh, flyer at the hospital, just like I am, and you need to get your IVs redone, they should not be reusing the same needle on you. Because mm. I did not know that the needle that they use, anytime that they stick it through your skin, it gets a little bit more dull. So that time that I got stuck nine times, that needle was just getting duller and duller. And like, I, I can't even access some memories fully anymore because it was just so blocked out by pain. But at that point, I was already in so much pain from my stomach and from the past visits that I was just kind of letting the doctors do what they were doing. Like I was writhing and crying and surrounded by six doctors two nurses, two phlebotomists, and the machine that shows them where my veins are. And I was just turned into a painful, complacent patient. And my mother at the time had to beg them to stop and give me a break. Because even though I was in the bed saying, like, this hurts a lot, I want it to stop, they wouldn't. Like, my voice was completely looked over. Like, I wasn't a person laying in the bed in that moment, I was like a pincushion. And I could tell that no one in that room other than my partner and my mom saw me as a human being. Because once they left, we were just alone. I was still sick. I didn't have my IV. And anytime a nurse came in, it would just be like, oh, you're, so, you're still sick. Okay, I'll come back later. Wow. And it was just absolutely disgusting behavior from everyone i mean this is just like layers of trauma packed on top of each other all because you were doing the right thing you know going to the doctor asking for help that's what we're supposed to do yeah um, and now that you're doing better and you have some you're able to keep some food down because i'm also thinking about like the lack of nutrition and hydration that you experienced for years and you know, I'm sure that that caused all sorts of issues as well. But now that you're finally able to recover a little bit physically, how do you start the process of recovering emotionally? Because, you know, it, it seems like once you have some energy to actually start to process what you've been through, you must be reliving a lot of things and recognizing all the ways in which you were like horrifically mistreated. And that that is just like years of trauma that has been caused from you going to the doctor. Oh, yeah. And it's it's sad to have that trauma, too, because you grow up and you're told, like, always trust your doctors, tell your doctors everything like your doctor is there to help you. And then you go to your doctor 
And the thing is that they don't help you. You don't exactly know what to do in that moment anymore. And when it comes to emotionally healing, I wish I could give some advice for that because I'm still trying to figure that out on myself now too. Um, Cause even though I am thankfully able to uh, hold down food and water and I'm a little bit further along than I was years ago, um, I've had new, new symptoms arise as well. Um, Cause I've had a few concussions that sadly went untreated because I have no money or insurance and it's very expensive to go see a neurologist. Um, just everything has just piled on top of itself. And it's like, every time I work through something new, something new comes up and goes back on top of that. Mm. So I worked through my stomach being bad and I'm out of the hospital, but now it's, I'm getting these intense migraines in my head and my stomach at the same time. My doctor saying that I possibly could be having um, absent seizures, non-epileptic seizures, uh, just dealing with everything that happened through all those years, like the malnutrition and the dehydration for years has led to a lot of problems with my bones and the cartilage in my back because mm -hmm. I would spend hours just hunched over and not just hunched over like I'm not s sitting correctly, but like fully in a ball, unable to move. I go to my chiropractor at least once a week and I have ribs that displace themselves. My left collarbone is currently not sitting where it should be. Um, just like my wrists and my back are very bad because whenever I would be very dehydrated and I had low electrolytes, I would get what would be called like crab hands. Like they would just lock up and I couldn't move my hands at all. So now my joints, I just have a lot of joint pain in my hands. Um, from all the pricks from my IVs, I have nerve damage in both of my arms and very intense neuropathy. So it's a case of I grew up sick and I was thinking going to the doctors would help and everything and getting this medicine would get my life back on track but it's a completely different life than, you know, what I thought I would have growing up. And it's watching my years at the dojo slip away from me because I can't do that as much anymore. And watching my years swimming and going biking and doing all these things that I can't do anymore. And even with my medication, um, I can't be in the sunlight for more than 10 minutes or I will get burnt and get UV poisoning. And one of my favorite things is being outside in the sunlight in the forest. And it's all these really small things that it, it seems like they don't or they don't matter, but they hold so much place in my heart that it's hard to let them go. So it's been a case of like, I'm trying to accept myself emotionally and forgive myself and move forward and try to look for something new. But at the same time, it's like I'm grieving for a new part of myself every single day. What has taken the place of those things that you've had to stop doing? You know, I know that, um, I know what it feels like to not be able to do the things that you really wish you, you could. But I've also experienced, you know, like this podcast, I never would have done this podcast. And I adore doing this. You know, it's something that continues to bring me so much joy and fulfillment and before getting sick, this would, I mean, I wouldn't have even known this was a thing to do, you know? Yeah. Um, 
so what what has you know if you can't go out in the forest if you can't go to the dojo what are things that you have um discovered that have become coping mechanisms um i've started doing a lot of clay work i'll make little mm. things of clay just like little doodads like mushrooms and frogs and because they're small and everything it also helps me try and work all those fine muscles in my hands to try and get that back um i've been painting a lot more as well than i used to as a kid um i'll even try and find days that i can attempt to go into the forest because i'm like oh it's going to be very overcast so i can survive outside for 15 minutes in the shade with this SPF on. Um, and also just taking care of my animals because growing up, I've always had cats and dogs and everything. But when COVID hit and everything and I lost my job and I, I started remission and I was at home more, I started realizing just how much I love animals. Like ever since I was a little kid, they had to have a place in my heart. But now I have teamed up with my local cat rescue to help um, adopt out any kittens that I find in my neighborhood. I do a TNR with my local animal rescue to trap and release any cats in my neighborhood to get down the population. Um, I have found four lost dogs and found their home. Hmm. Um, there was a time where I had birds as well. And I sadly learned that they didn't fit into my lifestyle as much as I wanted them to, even though I did adapt as much as I could. Um, and I did rehome them to some very nice people who sent me photos the other day and my birds had babies. <laughs> but I just <laughs> learned that animals are... The one thing that if you're healthy, if you're sick, if you're able-bodied, if you're disabled, they just look at you and they see a person who gives them love and they see happiness. And it's just that innocence of an animal that gives me a little bit of hope, if that makes any sense. Absolutely, for sure. Tell me about your support systems that help get you through the worst of this, um, you know, family or or coping mechanisms that got you through the times when it just felt like it was going to be impossible to make any progress. Yeah, I definitely found my support system a few years ago because I didn't, didn't really have one growing up and I sadly didn't have one in my family as well. Um, and this is very funny to say, mom or dad, if you're listening to this, this is nothing negative against you. This is just me stating the facts. Um, but growing up, my dad, he was a certified um, nutritionist and all of that. So he was always very health oriented. And when I was sick, he was like, oh, it's in your head. You just need to breathe and do yoga uh, <laughs> verbatim. That's what he said. I need to breathe and do yoga. And I was like, yes, I'll do downward dog uh, as I throw up. <laughs> um, and so I kind of sadly didn't rely on him for much and for a bit my mom was my support system she would take me to the hospital when I needed it but uh sadly she grew tired of that pretty quickly um having a disabled kid is a lot more than I guess she thought and when COVID hit she looked at me and she said, 
because of your disability and your inability to have a job, you're going to work me to death. I'm going to work myself to death because of you. And she moved away. Uh, sorry, that's still a very heartbreaking thing for me to say out loud. Uh, she moved away and it was both the worst thing I've ever had to go through and a blessing in disguise at the same time, because at that time is when I met my partner, uh, my current partner. And at first we weren't really going to become a thing. You know, I was, I was sick. I had just gotten out of an abusive relationship and I was like, I'm not really ready for something right now. And I'm probably just going to, talk about him for a second because he's changed my life, my partner. Um, he, when we first started dating, he had seen me like in my makeup, in my dresses, looking good. And then he saw me just in the throes of an episode where I'm just lying on my bath, like my bathtub, just sick. And it was the third time he was helping me um, in my shower because for CVS, what I do to kind of help, um, is stimulate the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve, um, is in the brain and it controls the stomach and how the stomach acts. So I'll take very, very hot showers and to stimulate the vagus nerve, I will pour a little bit of water on the crown of my head because that's where it's located and kind of reset all my nerve endings. And I'm just in the shower and he is pouring water on my back and just in my delirium i just say i think i'm in love with you <laughs> and he goes you'd say that to anyone who's helping you right now and i was like well yeah true i would but the thing that makes it different is that you have seen me good you've seen me bad and this is the third time you've helped me and you are still here so i love you and we've been together for four years now wow. um he is my biggest advocate when it comes to the hospital. Um, he didn't know what to do at first, but after that one doctor who pulled him to the side and made me cry, he was like, no one's ever going to do that to you again, or they're going to have to have a word with me. Um, my best friend, too. I can't even put into words how much I appreciate my best friend. Um, because I had friends in high school who I called my best friend, but little did I know that when I was sick, they would go behind my back to my friend group and tell everyone that I had bulimia and that I was faking everything for attention. And so I had lost a big chunk of my friend group, but my current best friend looked at me and just went, if you can put up with me, I can put up with you. And I went, cool. <laughs> if you can put up with me, I can put up with you. And now we have matching tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> so well, it's just kind of been broken people finding each other and making a family. Yeah, it really sounds like a found family. I'm so sorry to hear about uh, so much of your trauma. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> and it's just like piling on top of, of unfairness, you know, and, and none of this was your choice or your fault. It's just like you just navigated this the best way you could. And I am astonished at your strength to get through all of that. I mean, wow. I, I can't, You're going to make me cry. <laughs> I, honestly, like, you know, our listeners can't see you, but you've just been so just matter of fact about what you've experienced. And 
so much of it is so shocking and so horrific. And I'm just, I'm just amazed to hear your story. I'm grateful that you're here to tell it because I don't know if a lot of people would be able to make it through that. I mean, that this is some horrific stuff that you've lived through. I'm, I'm really grateful that I can talk about it because it's such a rare illness that I hope maybe even just one person out there who maybe listens to this goes like, hey, I'm not alone. There's someone out there going through the same thing as I am. And if anyone is listening to this and you are going through this, just know that no matter what anyone says to you, you are worthy of love no matter how you are feeling in that moment. You are always worthy and deserving of respect. And it might not seem like it'll come very fast, but one day things will be okay. It might not be 100% okay. It might not be perfect, but maybe, just maybe, you'll be able to go to the forest again on an overcast day and just enjoy the breeze. And after everything you've suffered through, enjoying the breeze is going to be something that you'll enjoy on a level that you didn't know was even possible. Oh, very, very much so. There was, um, there was a point because CVS, sadly, is a disease that can kill uh, the person who suffers with it. Uh, in my group alone, this year, 2023, we have lost five members, and one of them was a child, and that broke my ups, that broke my heart. We've had members pass away in the hospital, surrounded by people who are supposed to care for them. Um, and back when I first met my partner, I had a very bad episode. And during some of my episodes, my diaphragm stops working and I'm unable to breathe. I can't push anything in or push anything out. And it happened when I was in the shower around him, but usually I'm able to get myself to cough. I couldn't breathe in that moment and my vision started to pinhole and I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't see anything. And the first thing that came to my mind was, this is it. This is how I go. I am going to pass away on the floor of my shower next to my boyfriend. And he was just hitting me on the back, like full force with everything he could to just get me to cough. And the second that cough came out, just like uncontrollable sobs and screams. Like, I don't know what came out of me, but I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. And that's even been a thing that like, I've tried to go to therapists about and be like, hey, how do you deal with near death experiences? And they're just like, <laughs> I did not go to school for this. <laughs> it's a very, very insane thing. <laughs> very intense, but I am very glad that I'm still here and I've even agreed with myself like I've looked in my eyes in the mirror and went we're gonna get through this we're gonna help people and we're going to educate wow. because hopefully it'll make it easier for someone else out there and they won't need to go through what we went through yeah absolutely and I really hope that this podcast can can help with that goal because that is a very very worthy goal well I have one more question for you if you could Go back in time to the beginning of your journey and tell yourself one piece of information that might help ease your passage through this horrific health, health journey that you've been on. What would that piece of information be? I think I would tell myself to be more patient with myself. 
Because even in the throes of my episodes, I would be forcing myself to do chores and homework and just all these things because I'm like, I am not worthy of help if I'm not able to get these things done because I have been trained with such a capitalistic mindset that my worth is tied to my productivity and that if I can't do anything, then I don't have much worth. I wish I could just go back in time and say, you are worthy of the things you wish you had right now. You are worthy of the love that people aren't showing you. And one day you will find it again. Wow. Raven, you have done an incredible job today. What an amazing uh episode of the podcast an incredible story and you're just an amazing person what you've lived through is so intense and i am honored to be able to share your story today um please tell us where people can go to connect with you online anything you'd like to plug i'd love to hear where to find this uh cvs facebook group because this sounds really helpful for someone in need oh yeah so definitely um for facebook the way i found them is really you can just search cyclical vomiting syndrome um, I'm in four different groups, I want to say. Um, if you want to find me on Instagram, I have an art account that I set up trying to sell some of my artwork to fund um, a visit to the neurologist that I have to see this year. Um, my my last name is Brussels, so my art page is Brussels Sprout Art. <laughs> Just like that. Brussels Sprout Art. Um, my... TikTok is tiny x chaos because I am chaos in a 411 package. <laughs> the art page, just the Brussels sprout art. It's where I want to go to not just fund my journey, but to spread more awareness to. And I even try and use my TikTok as well, uh, tiny x chaos. I post uh, some videos there explaining CVS, um, answering any questions that others may have. And is it okay if I say something real quick? Absolutely. Just to anyone with CVS listening to this, know that our illness is real. It's not made up and it's not all in our heads. Because sadly, there is a few TikTok accounts of real nurses who have been attacking our group members. Um, and I sadly was also one of the group members who was attacked by one of these TikTok nurses because um, there's a trend saying that CVS patients are the worst patients to put up with because they fake it. So my whole thing is just your illness is valid. Your pain is valid. I hear you. I see you. And you have a place in this world. And just to medical professionals, I appreciate everyone who puts true love and care into the patients that they see every day. You make a difference in so many lives, even if it doesn't look like it. Yeah, I mean, the fact that you've gone on medication for CVS and it has helped should be proof enough that this is real. And the fact that you are facing medical gaslighting, not only at the clinic, but on TikTok is ridiculous. <laughs> Like, do these nurses have nothing better to do than to uh, continue to traumatize people in their personal lives? This is ridiculous. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess not. It must be so boring at the hospitals that you got to just traumatize someone for fun, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, there's something seriously wrong. <laughs> but the best we can do is advocate for ourselves, try to navigate a broken system, and try to educate the world around us in the hopes that maybe we can try to change how this system treats people with with mystery illnesses or with little-known illnesses. And just because something is rare doesn't mean that nobody has it. That's the whole thing. Exactly. If it was exactly if it was if it was so rare that nobody had it, it wouldn't be a disease. You know, <laughs> the fact it, that, it's that it's a disease like, at all means that someone has to have it. So why can't we examine whether or not the person in front of you might have it? Thank you. It's like people hear this word rare and they're like, oh, rare equals non-existent. And I almost sometimes go into this really stupid uh, metaphor and I'm like, just because a Pokemon card is rare doesn't mean the card doesn't exist. Yeah. It just means you might not see it that often. I am a very rare Pokemon card. Yeah. If you're hunting for a shiny Pokemon, you keep looking until you find it. They're out there. They're just hard yeah. to find, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am the hardest to find Pokemon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, Raven, I can't thank you enough for an incredible episode of the podcast. You've given me a lot to think about. I mean, this is it, your story is haunting, but very important to share. And I am just amazed by you and thrilled that I get to share this story um, and deeply, deeply disturbed by what you've experienced. So thank you so much for speaking out. And, you know, that's how I found you to begin with, was I saw one of your incredible TikToks talking about your disease and I was like, I've never heard of this disease, and I would love to hear more. And wow, I'm so glad that I reached out because this was fantastic. So thank you so much, Raven, for coming on the show and for sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me and just letting me talk about it. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, MajorPainPodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncy, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpain. Pain Podcast.